Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Yeah. Oh, you got Amari still? That's all we got, because the thing is, I don't know exactly how I want to go about it, right? Like I could say where I went to school, this and that, but I, you know, I feel like people know that and we have a very special guest on today, so I'm going to keep it quick and maybe next week we can unleash the uh, extra long introduction. We are joined by an extremely special guest, someone that Pistons fans of all ages will know very well, Mr. George Blaha. Mr. Blaha, welcome to the Pistons Pulse. Thank you for taking the time to join us. And before we really get started, I'm sure everyone would love to hear how you were feeling and how your health is after your bypass surgery here a few months ago. Well, thanks, Bryce and Omari. Great to be on with you guys. I feel great. Uh, I was very fortunate. I I'll just tell you, if you have any discomfort or shortness of breath, go get yourself tested. And uh, that, then you'll find out if, if, you, if you need to do some work on your heart. They tried to put stints in and realized they needed to do more work. So I had to have a triple bypass. Uh, but my, my recovery stayed on a perfect timeline. And by June, uh, I felt very good. And by the 1st of August here, uh, I think I was on top of my game. We'll find out if I ever start playing golf again. But, but uh, <laughs> the uh, bottom line is I feel very good and I'm excited about uh, the upcoming season. Awesome, Jerris. We're very happy to hear that. Of course, George needs no introduction for, for Pistons fans, but uh, this will be year 47 for you. Kind of what does that, that, that mean to you and what are you most excited for next season? That means I've been successful uh, and not losing this job. When I, when I first got the job back in the 76, 77 season, I thought, this is perfect. I mean, I love the NBA. It's in my home state and the town where I was born. I just said, don't mess this up. Keep this job. And, and I've been very, very fortunate. You know, the fans have been great to me, fellas. They really have because as you know, somebody uh, like Bill Davidson and his group uh, can be kind enough to hire you, but if the fans don't like you, they'll let them know, and sooner or later they'll have to make a move. So the fans at least uh, supported me enough so I could hang on to this job, and it's been a ball. It really has been. And even lately, you know, when I had the open-heart surgery, the fans reached out. Uh, they were terrific. And and so have the ex-players reached out. And those guys have been part of my life for so long. It was great to hear from them. Just being away, you know, from broadcasting, you've never uh, missed this best time but before. Uh, just how have you found ways to kind of occupy your uh, time not, not broadcasting in that span? And, and kind of what stood out about this, this time? Well, first of all, I watched the games. Uh, and I, I thought Johnny Kane did a very nice job filling in. And... You know, some of the things that I feel are very, very important when you broadcast the game, he did to a T, and that is you have to be up to speed with what's going on in a game. You have to be up to speed on the team fouls. You have to be up to speed on individual fouls. You have to be up to speed on who's hot and who's not. And the the entire deal is all on you. And if you lose track of the game, uh, then you're cooked. And he never let that happen. And the, and the NBA game so fast, as you guys know, 
uh, that you have to stay with it every split second. Those guys are getting up and down the court in a hurry. I remember broadcasting before I got to the NBA, and I, and I went to a, a Piston preseason game in Flint against Campy Russell and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and all of a sudden I realized how fast the game was. I said, you know, you're going to have to uh, get yourself into a, a whole other mindset because this is quick. What do they say? Quick twitch. Uh, things happen so fast, and they get up and down the courts so fast that uh, you got to be rolling from the time that the ball is thrown up for the opening tip. George, how how hard is it for you just to be a fan and watch games? When you get a chance just to watch a game without broadcasting it, are you able to sit there and just enjoy it, or are you almost always watching it from what you just described as that broadcaster perspective? Probably a little of both. I think uh, when you turn it on, you want Johnny to do well, and and he did. And you want him to fit in great with Gregory. And Greg's such a gentleman. Uh, he makes it easy for everybody. Makes it easy for me, that's for sure. And and then, of course, you want to stay up to date with your team because there are be, things happened uh, late in the spring that will affect the team when I get back to work uh, this fall. So, you know, I don't want to be uh, 15 games and be uh, not connected. So the, the important thing was to uh, to watch Johnny, and if I needed to give him a tip or two, which I really didn't think I did, uh, I would have done that. And, and second of all, I wanted to stay connected as connected as possible uh, to the team. And uh, and I felt like the the maturation of uh, Cade Cunningham kind of happened before my eyes all season long, and he got even better during the final 15 games of the season. And some other guys came on, obviously, but, you know, Cade's been the story. Uh, speaking of Cade, uh, this was a pretty big offseason for the team, adding Jalen Duran, uh, Jaden Ivey. This Pistons era, what stands out most about it to you uh, compared to especially the last decade where team hasn't had the success it's had in, in, in previous decades, but it looks like they're starting to really – um, get on the cusp of building something that could get to uh, the standard that the, set, the franchise set in the past. I thought Jalen Rose nailed it recently when he was at his golf outing for for his academy when he said, uh, this franchise, uh, when they've been good, they've had great backcourts. And we I think we have a chance now to have another great backcourt. You know, Jalen was talking about his dad, Jimmy Walker, and the great Dave Bing. And then the bad boys backcourt, of course, of uh, Isaiah and, and Joe Dumars and Vinnie Johnson, the best three-guard rotation probably ever in the game. And then you had Chauncey and Rip. And now you have a chance to have uh, these two guys, Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, turn it up a notch their way. I know every one of those twosomes uh, attacked the game a different way. But in, in all cases, uh, up to now anyway, they were connected, and we'll have to see how Cade and Jaden connect. What about some of the other young members of the Pistons core? You know, we talked about the backcourt there, but you have, you know, Isaiah Stewart in the front core. You got a guy like Sadiq Bey on the wing. Killian Hayes is another guy, you know, from the backcourt. But just how excited as a broadcaster is it for you to have these young guys? What's that dynamic kind of broadcasting a young team, not necessarily a team that's winning a lot of games, but is still exciting in that way? First of all, watching Sadiq, Bay grow, uh, you could tell right away he was an intelligent young man and a thoughtful young man. And uh, 
he could clearly score from behind the long line. Uh, that's his, that was his main skill, but he has developed the rest of his game and, and I think will continue to. So he's suddenly not just a long distance bomber. Uh, he can do other things to help you. And, you know, he's put together, this guy can play inside and not get knocked around. So it's been fun to watch him. And speaking of not getting knocked around, how about <laughs> beef stew? Uh, Isaiah Stewart, what a guy. Uh, I didn't think uh, LeBron James wanted any part of him last year. Because he was ready to rumble. Yes, and, sir. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he fears nobody. And, and I think most people fear him. So you got to respect him for that. And he plays so hard that he does what he thinks is right and what he thinks the coach wants him to do every second he's on the floor. He gets better and better. I don't. People say, well, maybe he's too undersized to play in the post. Well, he's proven on most nights that's not the case. But maybe he'd be a great power forward. We'll find out down the road. But I, I do think that it's been a ball uh, watching Beef Stew uh, mature. So, Mr. Blaha, you just mentioned the behind the long line, count that baby in a foul, some of these things that you have just coined and you are absolutely known for. Did those just come naturally? Were you sitting at home watching maybe some other game and it just hit you? How did those come about um, in your broadcasting career? I have a time call that most people don't use. Uh, and that, that I kind of came up with mentally in my head. I thought this might really work. And might draw attention uh, to the time rather than just make it something that just drones out. And it came from a, a great broadcaster who did the St. Louis Cardinals when I was a kid. His name was Harry Carey. What a name, huh? And what a yes. broadcaster. I remember him, he, yes, sir. Uh, uh, in, in baseball, the traditional way to say the count on the batter is three and two, two and oh, it's always balls, then strikes. And, uh, and if it was 0 oh and two, that'd be no balls and two strikes. Well, Harry would say, two strikes and nothing. And it just grabbed my attention. I said, you know, there's got to be some way to, to do something like that in basketball that will grab your attention and without screaming it out. And I think maybe changing the time call to 3 and 14 as opposed to 3 minutes and 14 seconds did that. At least I thought it would, and I kind of feel like it did. But everything else kind of just happened during a game and probably most of the things that just blurted out during a game, I don't even remember. So I wasn't able to put them in my uh, lexicon of sayings, but count that baby and a foul came out one night and I thought, man, that's not bad. Maybe I should use that again (laughs) because, you know, it is a big deal when you get to the basket and you score and you're going to get to the free throw line. Uh, One night I was doing a game with the great Dave Bing and uh, one of the players, I want to say it was Kelly Trapuca, anyway, scored, and he was flat on his back, and, and they called uh, the foul, and they saw the ball roll in. And I said, Dave, what's that like when you know you got to go to the free throw line and have a chance to make it uh, a three-point play? And he said, sweet feeling, George. So I know how, how important that is to uh, any player, but especially guys who are certified scorers. So uh, – that's where count that baby and a foul came from. And, and I thought uh, the long gun and the long line, those, I think that's important. It, it's become more important. Actually, the game's changed so much recently. Uh, so the three-point shot uh, 
is something that you've got, you've got to get your share of those and you got to make your share or you have no chance to win a game. So uh, I felt like the three-point line was takes a little long to say the long line's quicker. And like I said before, this game's so quick, you better be quick. That's why Glasser, instead of uh, shout off the glass, uh, I thought was a quicker way to say it and, uh, and explained it just as well. George, what are, your, what are some of your favorite NBA cities uh, to visit when you're on the road? Well, you know what I used to say? You mean other than New York? <laughs> the Big Apple is still the Big Apple. And uh, there's so much to do there. Such a vibrant city. But there are a lot of great cities in the NBA. The first time I went to San Antonio, I was blown away by the fact that the Alamo was there. And they had that great mix of cultures from uh, Mexico. Uh, and the people from Texas. And uh, and I think, you know, when you get to L.A. and see that Hollywood sign up on the hill, uh, you know you're in Tinseltown. And I also think that uh, places like Boston, with all that history and all that tradition basketball-wise, and all that great seafood, by the way, those, those places are awesome. And if you like Italian food, you got to love Philadelphia. South Philly's like uh, a mecca for that. So uh, that's those are a few of my favorite towns. San Francisco has a lot of class and dignity, and uh, and you know the windy city of Chicago. That's a great rival town of of the Motor City. So we kind of don't want them to win because uh, <laughs> it's Detroit versus Chicago. But at the end of the day, it's a great city. Mr. Blaha, you've called all sorts of NBA greats, Pistons greats. Can you just speak to some of the ones that were the most entertaining during your time as a broadcaster? Who were some of the funnest players that you have the fondest memories of? And, and I know you don't want to necessarily single anyone out or leave anybody out, but can you speak to just a few? Well, when, when I first started broadcasting, Dr. J was sensational. And he was sensational for a long time after that, by the way. And by the way, I felt like sociologically and, and other ways, uh, Julia Serving did a lot for the NBA and doesn't get quite enough credit. You know, they say that uh, it was Bird and Magic and then Michael, but Dr. J showed the world that uh, a guy who can jump out of the gym and has, has a big afro, if you don't live in a neighborhood where those kind of people are around uh, and you want to think ill of them, you're wrong. Uh, Julius opened his mouth and you realize what a gentleman he was and uh, what a great citizen. And uh, so I think he did a lot for changing people's minds about NBA players uh, and made, made the NBA a little more mainstream than maybe it had been before. And then, and that set the table for Larry Bird and magic and, and, and then Isaiah and the bad boys and, uh, and Michael Jordan and, and the rest. But, uh, in terms of entertainment, entertainment, I think you got to go with Dr. J first in my career. Uh, he was so much fun to watch. Uh, David Thompson could jump out of the gym and score. But in, in my time of just starting, because I just got to know the guy uh, as a gentleman and as a friend, Bob Lanier was so much fun to watch. And God rest his soul, we lost him this year. Uh, but what a guy. And and what a player, uh, very cerebral, but still very strong and uh, with a great touch. 
I mean, this is the guy who could bull his way to the basket, but didn't have to. He could just stop and drain the jumper. Lefty, by the way. Uh, he was amazing. And so he was he was a lot of fun for me to watch uh, early in my career. And his matchups with the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, were classics. In fact, Kareem always said that the fans at Cobo Arena were among the most knowledgeable in the NBA. And when they had the pleasure of watching Bob against Kareem, uh, they knew full well uh, what they were watching. So uh, I'd say uh, Dr. J from the opposition and Bob Lanier from the home team would be the early on guys who really caught my attention. So we're going to go to a real quick short break right here. And when we come back, we're going to come back with the great Mr. George Blaha and get some stories from the different decades and maybe a few more perspectives on the current Pistons roster. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros and I'll go and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're back here with uh, Pistons legendary broadcaster, George Blaha. And George, we have a, a fun game for you uh, for the second segment here. Uh, you've been around for uh, almost five eras, really five decades of Pistons basketball. And uh, it would be great to hear a story from each era, uh, starting with the 80s. So, you know, of course, this was the Bad Boys era, uh, the most successful era in Pistons history. So I'm sure there's a lot of stories you can recall but when you think about the 80s kind of what what memory stands out most as being your favorite when you think about the 80s uh you think about the drafting of isaiah thomas and kelly trapuca early in that decade but let me rewind back to the 70s just for a second because i had uh the end of the 70s at the beginning of my career including uh some time when dick vitale was coaching at the beginning of the 80s and of course he's uh, an icon in, in broadcasting and was a heck of a coach at the University of Detroit. And he brought Terry Tyler and John Long into the NBA and Terry Durod as well. Dick was an amazing personality. The NBA was just difficult for him because he couldn't stand the losses. A lot of college coaches have that problem. But uh, the, the 70s at Kobo, fellas, that was like a city fashion show. Um, <laughs> a lot of fur, a lot of feathers. <laughs> and a lot of people who understood the game. And uh, John Mangelt told me one time that uh, he was knocked into the front row by a member of the other team. We won't say who the other team member was, but <laughs> a guy in the front row stood up, pointed to a piece he had uh, around his belt and said, <laughs> leave, leave my man crash alone. Uh, <laughs> so, but we had, as uh, as I mentioned earlier, 
in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's eyes, and he was obviously one of the brightest guys to ever play and one of the greatest, uh, among the most knowledgeable fans anywhere. And we had Marvin Barnes on our team. We got him in the expansion draft, an incredible talent who never quite matured uh, like he should have. Had he matured and played up to his capabilities, uh, Marvin Barnes and Bob Lanier on the same team would have been maybe even championship bound. But then the Pistons had to rewind into the 80s. And watching the team develop in the 80s was one of really the great thrills of my life because I saw Isaiah come in, and he wasn't used to losing. Neither was Kelly Trapuca. Uh, they've been winners all their life, and they they found a way to win games at the end. And, you know, John Long and Terry Tyler were very helpful in that area as well. And suddenly the Pistons uh, went from a team that, you know, was trying to win 30 games uh, to a team that was above break even and pushing for pl- the playoffs. And eventually they made the playoffs, made enough noise, made a few changes. Jack McCloskey was a tremendous general manager and put a team together uh, that could challenge some of the greatest teams of all time. Uh, I think you guys would probably agree that the Lakers in the 80s and the Celtics in the 80s uh, were among the greatest teams to ever play. And the Pistons had to get by both those teams to win back-to-back championships. So uh, it was a thrill watching them uh, in the 80s. And Chuck Daly was a great offensive coach. He became more enamored with defense when he had a guy named Dennis Rodman and another guy named John Sally on his side. Those X-Factors came off the bench to, to shut down other teams. And Worm was obviously one of the greatest uh, one-on-one defenders ever in our league and one of the greatest rebounders, too. Uh, I was working with Dick Mata at the time, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame as a coach. I'm confused as to why he's not, but he was a great coach no matter what. And he said to me, this is a great story, when Dennis Rodman was a rookie and we were doing a preseason game, Dick Mata said, George, he's the best rebounder since Bill Russell. You watch. And this is the kid who barely played a game in the NBA and come from came from uh, a directional school in Oklahoma. Dick Mata knew what he was talking about, obviously, Dennis became an all-time great rebounder. And and the bad boys uh, had their moment in the sun. They they ruled the greatest league in the world. And, you know, Isaiah had that uh, 25-point third quarter in, in game six of 1988, the greatest performance ever, uh, I think, uh, in the NBA finals. And you, nobody's beaten that record for points in a quarter. And he did it on one leg after that bad ankle sprain. And then there was that questionable foul call. We call it a phantom foul on Bill Lambeer that put Kareem on the line. And to his credit, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made both free throws, and they, they got to a game seven. The Lakers did. Probably should have lost in six. And Isaiah was pretty much shot by that point. And so the Lakers won that title. But then the Pistons bounced back to win in 89 and win in 90. I thought that uh, the the 90s decade, fellas, the Pistons tried out those teal uniforms they're going to use in a few games uh, <laughs> this year. But it, it was also a decade that 
you could look back on with pride because it kind of was a transition from the bad boys to the going to work guys in the early 2000s. And, you know, we got Grant Hill on your team. You got Jerry Stackhouse on your team and you're making postseason appearances. Uh, I can understand why some people look back fondly on that decade and, and even those uniforms. They weren't my favorites, but uh, certainly watching Grant Hill play early in his career before uh, any injuries, he was one of the top three players uh, in the game. And you could even say maybe the best all-around player in the game. Great athlete, as smart as they come, and uh, willing to do what he needed to do uh, to help his team win games. And, and Jerry Stackhouse, of course, uh, later on had that explosion in Chicago against the Bulls when he scored 59, a Pistons record. And I was fortunate enough to call that game. And Jerry's a great guy. I'm happy for him that he's now coaching at Vanderbilt, getting an opportunity to uh, use his basketball smarts. But I'll say one thing for guys like Grant Hill and Jerry Stackhouse, when they showed up at the game, they looked like they were going into a corporate meeting and they were going to lead the corporate meeting. Those guys dressed for success, and it was fun to watch them. Then Rick Carlisle came, got the team turned around a little bit, brought in my man, the late Cliff Robinson, who gave the Pistons a ton of professionalism. And uh, and all of a sudden, uh, we had a team with, with character and toughness, and they were on the verge of, of, of winning games and winning championships. Ben Wallace joined the team as kind of an afterthought uh, in the Grand Hill trade with Orlando. But as it turned out, uh, he's the first undrafted player to ever make the Hall of Fame. Nobody could have worked any harder, been any tougher, uh, and done more for his team without scoring uh, than Ben Wallace did for the Pistons. Had a triple-double once, including 10 blocks. Uh, that was amazing to watch. And it, as the uh, going-to-work guys got closer to a championship, they made the deal that brought Rip Hamilton in, Chauncey and Rip, another great backcourt. We talked about that earlier in the podcast. And that was, a, as Rasheed Wallace said, and he came in uh, late in the 04 season and put the Pistons over the top as a championship team. But he said, we had the best five alive. And it was Tayshon and Rasheed and Ben Wallace up front and Chauncey and Rip in the backcourt. And, you know, Lindsey Hunter and a couple other guys coming off the bench to bother you with their defense when the best five alive was not on the floor. So uh, the championship teams in the early 2000s were remarkable to watch. I'll say this, guys. I never thought there would ever be another Piston basketball team that would capture the hearts of Detroiters the way the bad boys did. But that going-to-work group came very, very close. They used to say that when uh, gals were shopping in, uh, in the Detroit area, they'd be talking to each other about, do you have tickets tonight? And it was for the, talking about the bad boys. And they did the same thing for the going-to-work group. And you usually don't get ladies who are shopping worrying about whether they have tickets for the basketball game. But they were all worried about it. And everybody who uh, was anybody found a way to get into those games uh, at the Palace. It was a remarkable time. Those guys deserve all the credit in the world. And, you know, we we didn't really talk maybe uh, enough about uh, Chuck Daly directing the band for the Bad Boys and then Rick Carlisle and Larry Brown directing 
uh, the going to work group. Rick turned that team around immediately. And then the Pistons had a chance to get Larry Brown, one of the all-time greatest coaches. I think they'd have done just as well with Rick or darn close. But Larry was brilliant and a great coach and did a great job. Uh, after that, you had a couple of coaches uh, who, who were way above average and Stan Van Gundy and Dwayne Casey trying to get the Pistons back in the postseason. And they did that uh, and maybe tried to short-circuit things a little bit uh, by bringing in Blake Griffin. And uh, Blake, for a while, looked like Blake Griffin. He had a 50-point game. And during that series with Milwaukee, despite the fact the Pistons were swept, Blake came back, played in game three, and Little Caesars Arena was rocking. Uh, almost like the Palace was rocking during the championship time. So that shows you what can happen uh, in downtown Detroit. And they're uh, they're now looking at a very exciting group of young players who I think will stay in the chase for at least a play-in spot for much of the season. Whether they make it or whether they don't, it'll be exciting to watch. And as some people know, Jaden Ivey's grandfather, James Hunter, was one of my best friends. And I miss him to this day. He died too young. But uh, Jaden's in town, and he told me the other day, uh, I know my grandfather had something to do with me being a Detroit Piston, so I'm happy that he's here. That's very special. The family ties with Jaden to Detroit were amazing, and everything the Pistons organization did for Jaden whenever he got drafted. Mr. Blaha, you mentioned the Palace and Little Caesars here in the last few minutes. I just have to ask for you personally, you know, do you prefer one to the other? I'm sure both hold a special place in your heart, but you have a little bit more um, towards one of those arenas. Well, it's hard to say that uh, anything could be better than the Palace because you, know, you won championships there. You saw the same faces all the time. Uh, the guys were comfortable playing there, and uh, it was remarkable. And when I would leave playoff games at the Palace, my ears would ring for another day. Uh, sometimes I did talk shows from around the country. I could barely hear the guy asking me questions because my ears would still be ringing. I think we have that opportunity uh, at Little Caesars Arena. I think uh, a downtown arena uh, is great for the city. And I got a great, I have a great seat there. And there are wonderful fans there. So I have no complaints about Little Caesars Arena. Uh, in fact, when you're driving from where I live in Troy out to the palace, especially on a Friday night, it took a while getting up I-75. People think it's further to get downtown. That's not the case for me. So selfishly, um, I don't really have a uh, preference in terms of how I get to the arena. If they'd ever finished 75, it'd be a little bit better. But uh, I thought that considering it was built for hockey, uh, Little Caesars Arena came out just fine for basketball. One last question to close this out, George. Uh, would definitely be curious to hear more about your friendship with uh, James Hunter. Uh, we've talked so much about Jaden Ivey and his ties to the franchise. How his mom playing for the Shock uh, already do some people, you know, just from the Pistons front office who were around back then. But uh, exactly, how did you and James Hunter uh, become close, and what do you remember most about him uh, years later? Wonderful guy, great, great athlete. I once asked Joe Dumars, who grew up in Louisiana how good uh, or what position did James play for the most part at Grambling? Joe Dumar said he played anywhere they needed him. <laughs> he was always the best athlete and best player on the field. Came to the Lions, did a heck of a job for the Lions. But always a very personable guy. 
And we got to know him a little bit when he was playing for the Lions, but then he had uh, some injuries and had to step away from the game and went to work for Anheuser-Busch, and they were one of our big sponsors. So I see James a lot. And all I can say to kind of tell you how, uh, how James and I got along, he would always say to me, George, everybody's got to have a main man and you are mine. <laughs> and uh, I miss him to this day, but his, his wife, Emmeline is a dear lady. And we all call her peanut because compared to James, she was small, like a peanut, uh, <laughs> but a wonderful gal. And I'm happy for her that her grandson's coming home. Their son, Javen played at Notre Dame and uh, in football and played uh for the Ravens in the NFL. And uh, he and Neil had this young man, Jaden, who I think is going to tear up the NBA. I, I certainly hope so. Uh, there's no way I was going to miss his first season. That's for sure. Anybody talk about retirement? I said, why would I even think about that right now? No, we're all excited to get you back in the broadcast, Mr. Blaha. I, I do want to give you a chance. Any final thoughts on this upcoming season as you reenter you know, broadcasting the games and this young team and the 2022-2023 season for the Detroit Pistons? Well, I think we have, as we started our podcast talking about, potentially a great backcourt. These guys are both very, very talented. Uh, And I think that Jaden Ivey can break down the defense and get to the basket, and he's very unselfish considering he's, He's a certified scorer and he can jump out of the gym. So he will break, break things down, uh, for Cade Cunningham. I'm most excited to see how this backcourt develops and fits in with the other pieces that Troy Weaver brought in. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about Sadiq Bay, smart young man, getting better all the time. And Isaiah Stewart, who doesn't like Isaiah Stewart? So, uh, and you know, the Pistons were, hoping to get Jaden Ivey and Jalen Durham in the same draft, and they did. Uh, it's amazing. You, you probably know this, you guys, but if if Jaden had been taken fourth by Sacramento, the Pistons thought about taking Durham fifth. So they got them both, and uh, that's like a dream for a general manager. Uh, that seems like a Jack McCloskey move, but it's a Troy Weaver move, so you got to tip your hat to Troy. I think if there's one thing everybody uh, in the fan base or front office, coaching staff, wherever agrees with is that uh, the Pistons had an a A-plus draft. So uh, it would absolutely be exciting to see how the young guys mesh next season. And then it would also be great to have you back as well, George. So thank you so much for uh, joining us today. It was great to talk to you. And we're looking forward to seeing you back in the booth next season. Fellas, great to be on with you. A lot of fun. Thank you, Mr. Blaha. Absolutely. I'll go ahead and close this out with our thank yous. Uh, shout out to Kerry Jr. the second, our uh, podcast editor, uh, our executive producer, Angela Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. And also a uh, big shout out to Wes Davenport, who will get back on here uh, very soon.